1: Welcome to the Monday Show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or anything uh, that's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If um, you are driving in your car, um, well, let me go, I don't want to mess up here. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at eight seven seven six three kslr Numerically, that's 630-5757. Now, if you're driving in your car, uh, you can uh, use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and that will be the safest way for you to call. Uh, 340-9585. Hope you had a great weekend at church. Uh, We did a couple of really, really important things the Lord is doing, and and, um, I hope it was good for you as well. Um, Tonight, because it's Monday, we're going to have our Sweet Summer Devotion series. Um, Stephanie Marquez is going to be sharing her heart tonight. Uh, and I know you will be blessed. That's at 7 o'clock. If you can't make it here, uh, you can watch it on the live stream at CalvarySA.com. Uh, we'll also be having our men's and youth Bible studies, junior high school and high school age studies at the same time in different places in the building. So if you are um, family, a good time to come to church together. So again, I hope you had a great time yesterday at church. Let me go to the questions that have been sent. while we wait for your phone calls. The first one is from Nathan. Uh, Pastor, on Christians say that Jesus is obviously true, yet most people with high IQs reject him. Why? I sometimes feel stupid <laughs> for believing. Um, Nathan, the Bible says a fool says in his heart there's no God. So what you've got to deal with is is who's more important in terms of what they think about you? Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have that in our Bibles. And yet, um, these really smart people who reject him, not because they're smart, they reject him because they don't want to stop sinning. Um, You know, of course they look down on us. Of course they try to make us feel like we're stupid. Um, But you see, we know, don't we? The foolishness of God, Paul talks about. And yet, when you believe the foolishness of God, it destroys the wisdom in this world. And all we have to do, Nathan, is rest in the fact that Jesus thinks we're pretty smart. And you know what? I think there's if there's ego or pride involved, I think it's one of the things that you need to, need to destroy. You need to, to crucify the flesh um, because there's nothing that somebody with a brilliant IQ has to say that can add any value to my life if they reject the most important thing In life. Now, Nathan, I'm not a man with a brilliant IQ. But I used to think I was smarter than I am before I got saved. And I used to criticize people, including my wife, all the time for believing something that was so obviously just a myth or, you know, religion. You Christians, you don't understand anything. Um, And God sort of accepted my challenge and brought me to my knees. And when I found out at the age of Thirty-nine was that uh, I really, really was lacking in the wisdom that I thought I so possessed. So don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what they say. The only thing that matters is what God says. And um, I think sometimes smart people just outsmart themselves. You know, I think about uh, um, psychologists like Jung or Freud and I look at the lives they lived. Brilliant, brilliant men. And I look at the lives they lived. And they were absolutely devastated by their lives. The things that they believed in never had any value for them. And they ended up so empty. I don't think that's very smart. I don't think that's very smart. Hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Rodney. Uh, We are told to be peacemakers, so why don't Christians reach out to the LGBTQ community to offer them peace? Well, Rodney, I think we do. And see, uh, this is a a place where if we were talking in person, uh, I could say, well, okay, define what you mean by offering them peace. What would that look like practically? And you probably would say something along the lines of, well, to, to offer them peace would say, you know, we understand that we're different than you, we believe differently than you do, but you know what, we're going to bless you and let you live the life that you choose to live in peace without telling you what we believe in regards to it being sin. But you see, that's not to be a peacemaker either. To let somebody live a lifestyle that will result in them spending eternity in hell. There's nothing loving or peacemaking about that. Let me tell you the offer of peace that we offer to all sinners, not just LGBTQ people, but to all sinners. We tell them, There's an answer for sin. His name is Jesus. That's being a peacemaker. I can help you make peace with God. And the problem is they don't want to make peace with God. They don't want to be told that what they're doing is wrong or that it's sin. And so we have uh, an obligation to tell the truth, to tell the truth in love. But that's what offering them real peace is. So I can only speak for me, Rodney. Uh, I do, every time I teach the Bible, I offer people the opportunity to find peace. Every time. And those who say yes, will they find that peace? Those who say no, never will. So it's not peace to help them accept a lifestyle that will condemn them. Let me also say something else, Rodney. The The idea here, when I say a lifestyle that will condemn them, nobody's condemned for being uh, homosexual or condemned for not receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the only reason anybody ever goes to an eternity uh, separated from God. Because they reject God's only answer. The truth is that, that 29 years ago, the sin in my life was so egregious Until I got to the place where I said, My sin is no longer acceptable. Until I got to the place where I could say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Well, until I got to that place, there was no hope of making any peace. And while I wasn't engaged in homosexual behavior, I was still condemned and on my way to hell when Jesus intervened. So, Thankfully, there were people who were reaching out to make peace with me, sharing the only means of peace through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and I did that. Here is an anonymous question. I grew up in a Calvinist church. I believed the doctrines of grace were true, but it's pretty clear that God hasn't chosen me. What are your thoughts um, you know, um, I, I get a little bit frustrated, anonymous, with, with, with people talk about the doctrines of grace. I know that's a Calvinist position, um, but, but Calvinists have no understanding of grace. They take the word, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely old deserving, and they completely pervert it. The doctrines of grace are not sovereign grace, sovereign election. Grace is unmerited favor, and it's available to anybody and everybody who asks and who will receive it. So that you believed they were true. Growing up in a Calvinist church, I I understand that. But waiting for God to choose you is never going to happen. God already chose you, Anonymous. He did that in the verse that everybody knows, for God so loved the world. If I could know your name and and, and and replace it there, for God so loved and put your name there, then all you have to do is make the choice. I think sometimes, especially with young people that grow up in Calvinist churches, they sort of wait around for this bolt of lightning to hit them and make them follow Jesus. That's never going to happen. You have to choose of your own free will. And of course a Calvinist would teach you that there is no such thing as free will. So here's the thing that I can solve for you. You can find out right now if you were chosen by God. You say, well, how can I find that out? Well, it's simple. You choose God right now and you'll find out that he first chose you because he knew that this day would come. It really is that straightforward. So if you're ready to turn from your sin, you're ready to trust Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, if you're willing to let Jesus be the Lord of your life, you're going to find that all of that has happened because God chose you. God, according to 1 Peter Chapter 1, according to Romans chapter 8, chooses according to his foreknowledge. So here's my challenge to you, Anonymous. Why don't you choose him right now, and then you can find out that you were chosen by God. My pastor used to say, when he gets to heaven, he imagines this great big gate, you know, a welcoming gate. And on the, the side as we enter, it says... Uh, enter of your own free will. And then he gets through the gate and the angel who's escorting him turns him around and points to the other side of the gate and says, chosen by God. God knew that in 1991 I was going to choose him. So all of those years that I sinned so horribly, the terrible things that I said and did, all of those things, None of those things could make God change his mind about loving me because he knew that day in February of 1991 would come when I would become his. So I didn't know anything about Calvinism. All I knew was that I finally got desperate enough to cry out for God and he was right there the whole time. So Anonymous, if that makes sense to you, Write in or call in or something and let us know. Let us know exactly the time you found out God chose you. Uh, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Beth. Um... Pastor Ron, my pastor is focused almost exclusively on healing. Is this a problem? Beth, I, I, you know, a pastor should be focused on nothing except Jesus. Teaching Jesus, teaching the Word of God. So if he or she is focused on anything else, then yeah, it's a huge, huge problem. And in this case, healing, uh, it sounds like you're in a prosperity church, uh, you know, just believe it enough and name it and claim it then God has to heal you. Um, You're in a really, really out-of-balance church, and you're the one who is getting ripped off. So, um, yeah, that's not a church. It's healthy. It's not a church that I would imagine um, is a a place that, that bodes well for you spiritually in the future. So, time to find a new church. Here's a question from Kathy. How would you explain to an unbeliever that it isn't unfair for humans to be judged after inheriting Adam's sin nature. Um, Kathy, I've heard that question asked in different ways before. Um, You know, the unbeliever says, well, I just don't think it's fair that I get punished for Adam's sin. Um, What I would do in in terms of explaining uh, to this person is just say, look, you're never going to be judged for anything Adam did. Adam sins... We're covered by the blood. Your sins can be covered by the blood of Jesus. And the only sins that you're going to stand and answer for are those that you committed. You're not going to be able to say, Adam, it's your fault I did this. Now, it is true that Adam, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, is our federal head. By one man, death entered the world. By the second Adam, Jesus... Life returned. Eternal life. So we inherit from Adam our sin nature. That's completely true. And yet we still possess the free will when tempted to sin to say no to it. So you're never going to be able to bring up Adam's sin. You're never going to be able to righteously point to Adam and say, you know, you made me do this. You know, Flip Wilson, the old comedian, used to say, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. Well, we're not going to be able to say, Adam made me do it. And every time you're tempted to sin, you make a choice of your own free will to do so. And when you make that choice, there's always going to be a consequence. So, understand. I think this is a bit of a dishonest question, Kathy, that they're they're posing to you. Just make them talk about their sin. What are you doing that you know you are not supposed to do? Tell lies, stealing, you have sex with somebody you are not married to. You know those things are wrong. Those are the sins that you are going to be judged for. Every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Kathy, that's the only explanation, but I think most of the time these are, are those gotcha questions that unbelievers ask when they have no understanding at all of what the Word of God says or of who Jesus is, of his character, his nature. So, Adam uh, has nothing to do with your sin other than we are sort of chips off the old block of our federal head, Adam, the first man. Good question. Lester says, uh, I know that God is not the author of confusion. So why are there so many differing interpretations of the Bible and also different denominations of Christianity? Well, uh, Lester, man is the author of that kind of confusion. So yeah, God's not the author of confusion. um, But but you see, we, we humans, we have an imperfect understanding of God's perfect word." So that's why there are a lot of differing interpretations. Now, the, the the only interpretation that really matters, Lester, is yours. What about you? You know, it's 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 a, a little disingenuous to say, well, nobody knows what to this guy believes this and this guy believes this, so I don't I don't know what to believe. But see, that's why we're to study to show ourselves approved. So that we can read the word for ourselves. We can have the power of the Holy Spirit come upon us and interpret the word that he wrote. It was the Spirit of God pushing the pins of men. And so what we need to do is, with an honest and open heart, with no agenda, with no preset systematic theology, just read it, become familiar with the word, and let God lead you into all truth. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he came. He would lead us into truth. And the fact that somebody else is pursuing a different direction doctrinally has no limiting effect on you at all. To hear from the Spirit of God for yourself, so start studying your Bible. Don't worry about the Mormon interpretation or a legalistic interpretation. Just just take it for what it says. And it's also disingenuous, Lester, when people respond if I'll say something. Well, you know, the Bible says this. Yeah, but that's your interpretation. Other people interpret it differently. I always tell people, well, what does it say? That's what you really need to understand. What does it say? Just be a blank page. I think one of the good things, Lester, in my life was that I had no baggage when I got saved. I mean, I was way late. I was a grown man. I messed everything up. But I had never opened a Bible in my life. I'd been to church a couple times. My grandma dragged me as a little kid, and I hated it. But when I opened the Bible, I didn't have any baggage. I didn't have a preconceived idea about who Jesus was or what he did. It was just like, okay, I don't know. what. I know I met Jesus, but now I need to find out who you are. And it was amazing how quickly God opened his word to me. Now, I could have gotten upset. Now, in, in my walk, and maybe you've heard this before, Lester, but um, um, I, I, I used to be pretty wealthy, and uh, I, I lost everything because of sin. And I needed money. As a brand-new Christian, I was still consumed with the pursuit of money. And I was going to some churches that told me that God wanted me to be rich. And all I had to do was believe and I would be rich. And so I wanted that. But you know, as I started reading the Bible, I knew it. there was just a ring of of falsehood to it. I knew there was something wrong with it. And so I just told the Lord. I remember the day. It was a, 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 a weekday during the, Um, really, really scary time in my life. It was a good time because I just encountered Jesus. But it was so scary because in the world all the consequences were coming to bear. And I remember one day with a, a library table full of books. I said, Jesus, I need to know who you are. Here's my promise. If you'll show me who you are, I'll follow you whoever you turn out to be, I'll follow you. But I have to know. You want me to be rich? Great, I'm fine with that. But I need to know who you are and what your plan for me is. And Lester, anybody who will do that honestly, Jesus will reveal himself. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. So don't worry about what other interpreters are. Or don't worry about Um, why there are so many different denominations. Just you and your Bible and Jesus. Find out. You're in the beginning of a wonderful love affair. And the only thing you're going to be able to do is enjoy it if you really dig in and explore this man that offers you eternal life. Again, we're imperfect in our understanding as humans. The Bible is perfect, but we're not. So these are issues that we have to deal with. That's what studying is all about. That's why we invest in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lester. You know, I think a lot of times we're encouraged. There's so much sort of easy teaching going on in churches. that I think we're encouraged way too often to do nothing because, well, Jesus did it all. But, but relationship is dependent upon really getting to know the person that you're involved with. And our Jesus is an infinite God. You're never going to stop learning about him. But it really, really matters a great deal. Find out who he is, and then it won't matter why there are so many different interpretations. Here is a question from Jeremy. Uh, if someone is an Orthodox Christian... Are they really saved? Jeremy, they are if they're born again. Uh, uh, I'm sure uh, God has a remnant everywhere. I say this about Catholics as well. Um, There's always a few who are born again. And they stay where they are. I don't know why they would, but they stay where they are. And God has a remnant everywhere. So if someone is an Orthodox Christian and they are born again, then of course they are saved. And they're going to be in heaven with us forever. Um, But to believe orthodox doctrine, you really have to sort of throw away a whole bunch of what the Bible says. Um, Penal substitutionary atonement is an example. Um, The punishment for our peace was placed upon him, Isaiah says. Um, An orthodox wouldn't believe that. Being born again. An Orthodox or Catholic wouldn't believe that. They believe that infant baptism deals with that. So, I'll just stick with Jesus. You must be born again. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the
1: air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at Gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at
0: Gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585. A reminder, and I'll try to remember at the end of the program, too. uh, Ladies, tonight, Stephanie Marquez is going to be sharing her heart at our Sweet Summer Devotion Series. So uh, we'd love to have you join us for that at 7 o'clock. Childcare is available. And of course, for the older kids, uh, we have uh, junior high school and high school age Bible studies as well. At the same time, the men will be sharing as well. And uh, Pastor Brian will be teaching uh, the men's Bible study tonight rather than Pastor Ken. He's a little under the weather. So keep Pastor Ken in your prayers as well. Here's a question from our mobile app. This one from Scott. The second 2 Peter 3.17 saying that there's a possibility that one could lose their salvation? Scott, the answer is no. There's no place in Scripture, period, that even hints that you can lose your salvation. When you understand in context what the author is saying, there's no place at all with even a hint of losing one's salvation. So... I can tell you no. Now, this is my study yesterday, so perhaps you were watching online. Uh, It says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Now, remember the context here, Um, Scott. um, Peter has been speaking since the second chapter. Uh, This is his final correspondence. Uh, Peter knows he's about to die. And Second Peter is warning people about false teachers. And in the context of chapter 3, uh, he's, he's reminding them what he's already told them. The Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking to them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, and here's the key, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And then he says, since you know this, because I've been warning you since chapter 2 about false teachers, be on guard against these ignorant and unstable men who distort, and that word distort is a very strong word in Greek. It's, It's really, they torture the other scriptures. These ignorant and unstable men torture the other scriptures. And he's saying, don't get caught up in their torturing the scriptures. Because if you do, if you start falling into the the folly of false teachers, then you're going to fall from your secure position in Christ. Now, the way I explained this yesterday, Scott, is that God is guaranteed, for those of us who are born again, God has guaranteed our security. Our salvation is in his hands. No one can snatch us from his hands. And because God is the one who made the guarantee, he wants us to be secure in our position in Christ. He wants us to know that we're going to be going to heaven. He wants us to know it beyond any doubt. Uh, The Apostle John, in writing 1 John, he says um, that that, uh, he writes these things that we may know to a certainty, not, not well, I hope I'm saved, but that we might know that we're saved. Well, that's what Peter's saying. You know, if you listen to good Bible teaching, if, you, if you're solid in your doctrine, if you're not being led astray by these unstable and ignorant people who are torturing the Scriptures, then you're going to be secure, and you're going to walk around knowing that you belong to the Lord. You're going to have that peace of mind and heart. And um, God wants us to enjoy that security. You know, I have a feeling that Jesus, and again, I'm using human words to describe an an infinite God, but but I think it would really hurt Jesus' feelings when we question our salvation. The salvation that he did all the work. The salvation he promised and the salvation he guaranteed. He promised us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I think when we walk around this world feeling condemned, or when we walk around this world, and well, you know, I don't feel very saved, or I did something really bad, and and I know God's mad at me. I think that hurts his feelings. It's like Jesus saying, what more do I have to do? From the cross, he cried out, Scott, Father, forgive them, for they do know not what they do. From the cross, in the middle of his pain, he took the punishment we deserved, and he did it so that we would enjoy the security in our salvation. So no, it's not at all an indication we can lose our salvation. I won't get carried away with this, Scott, but you know the reason we wonder so often about could we lose our salvation is we see so many people who who seem to start well there. They seem to be walking with the Lord. They answered an invitation. They got baptized Um. Uh, and we do. We just we think, well, boy, that person's really a believer, and then they a year later, two years later, they just fall away. Sometimes it's ten years later. Ah, no, I tried Jesus, didn't work for me. And and we automatically assume, well, boy, they were really saved because I served with them, and and they 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 how did they lose their salvation or they walked away from their salvation? Jesus would say they went out from us. I I know he would say this because he already did in First John chapter two verse nineteen they went out from us because they were never really a part of us. And that always freaks people Who are you to judge somebody's salvation? Hey, uh, all I know is that Judas looked like a real believer. Maybe he looked like the most trustworthy of all of the disciples. He was the one that was given the responsibility of carrying the treasury bag. I know that John and Peter in particular because they make reference to it in their letters. They never really could quite get over the fact that Judas had him fooled. But he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. He was a follower. He was a part of the group. But Jesus said he was the son of perdition from the beginning In other words, he had no share or part in Jesus or his ministry. And of course, he proved that to be true ultimately with his betrayal. So, God wants us to enjoy that we are secure in his hands. He wants us to take him at his word. Until we're willing to do that, we're simply not going to be able to really enjoy what he's done for us. Manuel says, Is it okay for a Christian to sue another Christian if that person cheated me? Uh, Manuel, the answer is no. I know when I say that, it, it sort of sticks in our craw. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, he's, he's rebuking the Corinthians for, among other things, going to court in front of unbelievers with lawsuits, Christians against Christians. And then Paul says, why wouldn't you rather be cheated or wronged rather than compromise your witness, rather than have the world see an an ungodly judge see two Christians suing one another like they didn't have anything in common, like they weren't really believers at all. Paul says, it's better to be wrong. Now, I want to be clear, Emmanuel, and I don't want to appear to sound naive here, but nobody wants to be cheated. Nobody wants to be taken for granted. But if you're in a legal dispute with another Christian, you can't just rationalize, well, I don't think they're really Christian, they wouldn't have done this, so it's okay to sue them. Now, this doesn't prevent Christians from suing people. It just prevents us from suing other believers. And the reason is because we drag our dirty laundry before the unbelieving world, and they're all wondering, well, where is this Jesus that you're talking about? So no, it's not okay to sue. And here's the thing that you've got to do, and this is a tough one. It it takes faith, and you're going to have to let the Lord really work in your heart. But what you've got to be able to say is, Jesus, they cheated me. You know it, and I know it. I'd rather be cheated than drag your name through the mud so I'm going to let you bear my case I'm going to I'm going to let you vindicate me or I'm going to trust you and if you'll do that I promise you Emmanuel that God will show off for you he always does that doesn't mean you're going to get to be made 100% whole it just means that God will so honor your obedience in your heart even to suffer loss that when it's all said and done you'll be able to look back and say God you really did show off for me in this and just from my own experience manual when something like this happens the one thing that you have to do every day is fight your flesh because your flesh wants to be vindicated now you have to fight your flesh Because your flesh wants to win. I'm a a super, super competitive guy. And my flesh always, always, always wants to win. Now the question is, would I rather bring Jesus' glory and honor? So that's really the question you have to answer. Does Jesus and his glory, his honor, mean more to you than you being made whole? Be careful, because if you don't deal with this issue manual, you will get really, really bitter, and that bitterness really is against the Lord. He will take care of you if you give him the opportunity to do so. Thomas asked this question. I like this one. Thomas. Since Jesus is interceding for us, why do we need other people to pray for us? Um, Tell us a couple of things. One, Jesus is interceding for us. Um, but we are also to ask other people to pray for us. Now, why do we need it? That shouldn't be an issue. We do it because God said to do it. The Apostle Paul, uh, often in his epistles, asked for prayer. Uh, The Apostle Paul was willing to say um, uh, to others, will you pray for me or keep us in your prayers? Um, then, then we shouldn't have a problem with this. Uh, I also think, Thomas, that, that God often wants other people to share in our joy when the prayers are answered. So when we have a, a, an issue and we're, we're asking for prayer and the answer that prayer comes, uh, we can rejoice with the people. That's why I tell people that call in the program and, and ask for prayer, keep me posted, let me know what's going on. Because if they'll do that, um, then I can rejoice with them. I, I love the fact that that uh, I know people are praying for me. Uh, I know I'm praying for people. And when those prayers get answered, oh my goodness, we had a situation here at the church yesterday where um, prayers of so many people were answered for everybody to see yesterday. And I love the fact that I know in this particular incident there were um, literally, no exaggeration, hundreds of people who have been praying for this situation continually. So we do need other people to pray for us. Let me do a qualifier here, Thomas. When we ask people to pray for us, we need to ask people who are alive, not people who are dead, not saints, not Mary, But people who are alive, that's one of the values of being in a body. There's always people who will pray. You know, one of the things I have shared on this program many times uh, that I'm proudest of is that this audience, when we ask for prayer, this audience takes things to prayer. And, you know, we're asking for prayer, um, not because Jesus is in any way insufficient, but because we want people to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. We want people to grieve with those who grieve. And when we're in need, we need to be covered in prayer. So that's why we do it. Here is a question from Stephen. Uh, Pastor was Jonah dead or alive in the great fish? Um, Stephen, there's no way of knowing for sure. Um, You know, the Bible says just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, uh, so too will some man be in the belly of the earth. And and, and so there are people who say, well, that means he was dead. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, who uh, is with the Lord and knows the real answer to the question now, uh, he was completely convinced, completely convinced that Jonah was dead and resurrected from the dead all in the the, the belly of the fish. Uh, I don't see that. Not in anywhere in the scripture. Is there any way... To, to, to prove that or even suggest it um, I think he was in the belly of the fish um, I think he was alive near death and I think uh, that fish arrived on the shores of Nineveh at just the right time where Jonah was spit out thank you for the question phones are really quiet today, wonder why here is an anonymous question. Can a Christian drink alcohol in moderation? If that's so, how should I respond to my wife who wishes that I didn't drink at all? Um, anonymous, a Christian can drink in moderation. Um, the question for you, um, I'm going to take a little bit of time with this. The question for you is, should should that Christian drink? Um, you made this personal. How should I respond to my wife who wishes that I didn't drink at all? Um... Why do you drink? I mean, there's a very clear scriptural principle here. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Here's the key. Giving himself up for her. What possible reason would you have to justify drinking when the wife that God has blessed you with has asked you not to? When he says to love your wife the way he loved the church, giving himself up for her. You see, God has given you an opportunity to die to your flesh for the benefit of your wife. I mean, this is so simple, so straightforward. Now, I know that we humans, especially we men, well, I have the right to do this. We do it with smoking, we do it with drinking, we do it with all kinds No, I, I can do nothing wrong with this. But if your wife asks you to stop, how can you justify not stopping So yeah, moderate drinking is not a sin. But is it beneficial? What value is there now? If you say, well, I just like the taste, or it helps me chill out, well, then you got other issues to deal with. Paul says, all things are beneficial, but I will not be mastered by anything. If you can't relax without drinking, then the alcohol is in control rather than you being in control or the Spirit of God being in control. So I think this is an opportunity for you to sit down with your wife and ask her what her objections are. Maybe you get ugly when you drink. Maybe she just, in her devotion to the Lord, she just thinks there's no place for alcohol in a relationship. Is your wife worth making that sacrifice for? If she is, do it. Without arguing without making yourself a martyr just say, you know what sweetheart, you've asked me not to drink and I've always resisted because I'm, I'm free to drink but you know what you not wanting me to drink is enough and if you'll do that anonymous, if you'll do that you'll feel the smile of God so big in your life that you'll wonder why you didn't do this before all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Drinking certainly falls into that category. Let me also say this. I've had a drinking question for a while, so I'll deal with this. I, uh, I wish if God could make me just like the ruler of the world for 10 minutes, I'd outlaw drinking in, among Christians. I'd outlaw all drinking. I couldn't do that with unbelievers, but, but with Christians. Why in the world? Would we want to do something that might limit our opportunities to minister to people? A good friend of mine, a pastor, tells a story of being, uh, his church had a softball game. He was young enough back then to play on the softball team. And he said they had a game one afternoon and they they won. And when they would win, they'd go out and have a pizza and a a pitcher of beer. And uh, so they were all in there and he says, that just as he, he was sitting there drinking the beer and they were having fun, he looked over and there was a a, a man in another booth who looked like the weight of the world was on his shoulders. I just said, it was so obvious that this man was struggling. And I was going to go over and talk to him. And just when I started to get up, the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, no, no, you can't go over. You've been drinking. And then he said, I'd sit there and watch while somebody else in the restaurant, not one of his group, but somebody else in the restaurant noticed this guy was struggling and went over and ministered to him. And he said, you know, it was at that moment I I swore I would never, ever inhibit my ability to be used by God again, ever. When we miss an opportunity to serve, how could we ever justify that? Yeah, we're free to do it, but remember, we're not our own, we're bought with the price. So listen to your wife, put a smile on her face, and let Jesus bless you abundantly in this matter of drinking. 3409585, we're inside five minutes, so it looks like we're going to go a whole program without a phone call. Uh, this is a question from Rob, um, Pastor. On to what extent does Satan cause us to sin? Um, rob, he's certainly involved. You know, his his job is to kill, to steal, to rob, and destroy. He's he's an expert at it. Um, so um, he's certainly involved. He 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 leads us into temptation. Uh, he's, he's whispering, it's okay to do it. You remember the old cartoons with the angel, the good angel on one shoulder and the bad angel on the other side and they're arguing in the ears, you know, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. Well, Satan is always trying to get us to sin. He knows that if we sin, then we are out of fellowship with God. And then it's only a matter of time before he can swoop in and destroy. That's just the way he, he works. So that's why we have to resist the devil, James says. Submit to God, and the devil will flee from us. But you see, in the resisting and in the fleeing is the key. There's no situation where we are out of control. We always possess the free will to say yes or no. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, but No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And then the next words are so important. And God is faithful. It doesn't say that Rob is faithful. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. So we can always say no. Satan's going to be um, making it look pretty good. He's going to do everything he can but remember, his goal is to destroy you. So, say no. And you're going to find that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead living in you, and you're going to be able to overcome the temptation. You know, Rob, I think there are, are two extremes in terms of how Christians deal with sin and the devil. I think mean, one extreme is that Christians just don't take the devil seriously at all. Oh, that's, you know, we treat him like he's a, a mytholo- mythological character. Um, uh, oh, you mm-hmm. know, Christ in me, I can do this. Um, the other extreme, uh, I think is even more dangerous, is that we blame him for everything. And and I talk about balance a lot on the show, and the balance... Rob, is that Jesus is right there in the middle and he'll always be there to help you. He'll always be there to help you. The devil made you do it is not an excuse. When you are tempted, you can cry out, Jesus, I need you now. Help me. We're told to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Can't blame him for stuff but we also have to realize that we need God's help because we're not a match for Satan in our own strength and our flesh. He will pound us. The devil is relentless. He'll never give you a break just because he feels sorry for you. So those are the times we got to say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. Always find the balance. The balance, as I say on this program all the time, is to just be with Jesus. So Rob, I hope that makes sense. Well, our phones are quiet today. Maybe tomorrow um, we can do a little bit better, Lord willing. A couple of reminders. Uh, Tonight, our men's and women's Bible studies. Tonight is Sweet Summer Devotions for the Ladies, and Stephanie Marquez will be sharing her heart. All of this is at 7 o'clock. We have our junior high and high school studies as well, so it's a good family night. For those of you who are out, may the Lord bless you and keep you. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you. I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. See you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.